Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. As I said, uh, next week uh, we'll finish up chapter 10 and we'll move on to the book of Ruth for a couple weeks before Advent. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. Greatness is serving. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want to do? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of our Lord. And that is our topic this morning, servant leadership. Our scripture picks up this morning with the theme that we saw a few weeks ago regarding humility. And apparently James and John hadn't learned that lesson yet. They still didn't understand that Jesus was going to die, not build an earthly kingdom. So the disciples, in particular James and John here, are trying to assure a place of predominance in the coming kingdom. Now according to the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew, James and John were accompanied by their mother. And she actually spoke first. And then James and John reiterated the request, as we see here in in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And more than likely, it's probable that the two sons asked their mother to bring the request to Jesus. She may have more influence over him than they did. Uh, Plus, it looks a little selfish whenever you come asking a question like this. It's better to have someone else ask it. And it's also possible that there was a relationship there that uh, James and John were actually Jesus' cousins and that would have made their mother his aunt. But anyways, they come, their request is a pretty open-ended question. They start by saying, do for us whatever we ask. Now isn't that bold? 
And it's obvious from that opening statement that they knew their request was a little bit over the top. You know, anytime someone comes up and says to you, hey, would you do something for me without knowing what it is, I wouldn't agree to it without knowing it. And Jesus has already been over this topic once, as we saw a few weeks ago. And he just got done telling everyone they must be like children. And in verse 33 and verse 34, he once again stated that he must die and rise again. But as usual, the disciples weren't understanding. And in fact, they continue this discussion as to who will be the greatest among them right up until the night Jesus is betrayed. So Jesus replies, well, what do you want me to do? And James and John says, well, we want the seats on the left and the right-hand side of you. These are the places of honor in, in Jesus' day. You're sitting on the left or the right-hand side of someone. You know, that's the, the place of honor. That the, the person in the middle would be a king or some other ruler, and you want to be as close to them as possible on their right-hand side or left-hand side. And that's similar today with, with banquets when you're honoring someone. You know, you want to sit as close to that person as possible. But Jesus tries to open their eyes and change their way of thinking by talking about the, the cup and by talking about the baptism. The cup is the cup he'll drink from and the baptism that he will take. And as we know, they're not heading to Jerusalem for a big victory celebration. Rather, it's the ultimate suffering and sacrifice that we will see there. And James and John think they're going into Jerusalem for this great big party, the coming king, and we want to be right next to him as he's honored. James and John want to be considered the closest companion of Jesus. They think this is going to be a wonderful honor and a promotion, so to speak, when in reality it will be persecution and death. They believe that they can drink the cup that Christ will drink from, and they can be baptized like Christ. And the cup and baptism here are signifying the enduring suffering and death of Jesus. And indeed, both James and John would be persecuted and would suffer for Christ, just like their master did. And as we see and read in Acts chapter 12, verses 2, James is the first apostle, apostle to be killed because of his faith. It wasn't soon after these events occurred that James was the first one to be a martyr. John, on the other hand, as we read in Revelation, he was the last surviving apostle. And we don't know, the Bible does not tell us how he died or what happened to him. But according to church tradition, he did not die as a martyr, meaning he wasn't killed because of his faith, but he lived out a long life. His life was, was spared uh, from that type of death, but he did suffer persecution. He was 
persecuted and in his old age when he saw Revelation, uh, he was imprisoned or banished to an island and living conditions were probably not great for anyone at any age, but especially uh, an, an older person. So Jesus can only promise them persecution, but not position in the kingdom. He says that's the Father's choice alone. After his resurrection, Jesus will be given all authority on on heaven and on earth. But during his ministry, he lived in submission to the Father's will. And Jesus submits himself to the physical and spiritual needs of sinners. He comes as a servant and invites his disciples to do the same. And that's what honor in God's kingdom is like. And that's what it's about. It's not based upon our selfish ambitions. It's not based upon, oh, look what I did. I'm doing this so I can sit next to you in the kingdom. That's not what it's like. And while Jesus is telling James and John this, the other disciples must have been within earshot. They must have been close by, maybe wondering what James and John were doing, talking to Jesus. And so they came a little closer to hear the conversation. And once they realize what it's about, the other disciples become upset and a little irritated with James and John. Not because of the question necessarily, or not because they didn't understand what was going on, but simply because James and John beat them to the punch. James and John got to ask the question first. And that's why they were upset. Because all the other ten wanted to ask the same question, and they were all probably trying to plot their time alone with Jesus. And here's James and John bringing their mother to Jesus, and the disciples are probably first thinking, oh, they're just you know, talking something with their mother there, no big deal. But then when they start to hear the conversation, it's like, wait a minute, you can't ask that question. I was supposed to ask that question. So that's why the disciples were, you know, a little irritated. They wanted, each one of them wanted that place of honor in the kingdom. And even after the three years now of of walking and talking and listening to Jesus, they still didn't get the purpose of his ministry. And the purpose was for him to come and die to serve humanity with his life. You would have thought those twelve would have figured it out. But they didn't. They didn't get it. And in fact, almost 2,000 years later, that lesson is still not understood by many people, and definitely not implemented. And the problem is simple. We imitate the ways of the world, not the ways of Jesus. And think about it. We pattern our church, for example. We pattern our church using what? Using things that we get from the secular world government policies and procedures, business rules, business positions, other secular methods, 
rather than what the Bible tells about the church. We pattern our church after secular things, the government, businesses, rather than what the Bible tells us to do. We want these titles and salaries to go along with our recognition. And no doubt this breaks Jesus' heart to see this and to feel this stuff happening in his world. And if you remember at the beginning, and I believe also at the end of his ministry, Jesus cleansed the temple. He went in, turned over the, the tables of the money changers and so on, and he cleansed it. And I think if he were here walking around today, he would cleanse many of our churches as well. See, the way to greatness in the kingdom is not climbing some ladder like the corporate world. Sure, in the corporate world, you can start off in a position and you can work night and day, work real hard, give your ideas out, and you can work your way up the corporate ladder. It's been proven many times. Unfortunately, most of those people don't have much of a life outside of work. But you can do that. But that's not the way to greatness in the kingdom of God. The way to greatness is to be a servant. And that's what Christ did. He picked up that basin and towel that night in the upper room and washed his disciples' feet. He was a servant to them. He was a servant to all. This is not difficult for any of us to understand, but yet so few people actually implement it. Verse 45 really sums it all up. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve humanity by dying for our sins. Jesus was the ultimate example of servant leadership. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he gave up those privileges. And he gave up his life as a selfless sacrifice to serve others. Shouldn't we do the same? He paid the price for those who put their faith into him. The ransom was paid to God to satisfy His justice and His holy wrath against sin. In paying it, Christ bore our sins in His body on the cross. And as we see from the example of Christ, true greatness comes from serving others. Not using others as the world does. And that's so sad to see. We, we see that, especially in our businesses and governments. People using other people just to get ahead. No matter what happens. I'll get your vote. I'll promise you guys one thing and I'll get your vote. You get me in here, that's great. Now I've got some more friends over here. It's a larger group of friends. I have to do what they say. Or I'm going to pretend to do what they say. And forget about these people. And that's how people often get ahead. That's not how we get ahead in God's kingdom. A real leader has a servant's heart. 
rather than seeking ways to have your own needs met, look for ways you can minister to the needs of others. And as you lift others up, you will be lifted up as well. And we need to remember that, servant leadership. Servant leaders realize the worth and value of other people. They don't just use them for their own purposes. But a servant leader also realizes that they're not above anyone else. They're not above any job, or they're not above any duty. If there's something that needs done, they do it. Just like that night in the upper room when Christ pulled out the basin and the towel and washed his disciples' feet. It was something that needed done. None of, none of the other twelve wanted to do it or took the initiative to do it. But Jesus did. He took the initiative and he did it like a faithful servant. So often we as Christians live in this world and we try to influence the world to live like us. But I believe that we need to first stop living like the world before we can actually influence. Stop living like the world and live like Christ. And then our lives will truly influence those around us. And we will truly make a difference. We can be a leader by serving others. And I can tell you I've had many courses in management. That's what my undergraduate and master's degree is in. And they have never taught that. They have never taught the way you get ahead is by serving others. They've taught many different things on how to lead, so to speak, and how to manage, but that's not one thing they teach. And I think that's part of the reason why we have companies in trouble today, is because the management at the top work their way up there by stepping on people and using other people, rather than serving others. And not just in businesses, but we see that in charitable organizations as well, unfortunately. The people at the top abuse what they should be doing. They lost focus of serving others. And I think some churches have as well. But we need to remember that we are leaders when we are serving others. That is what Christ did. He was probably the best leader in fact, he was the best leader this world has ever seen. And he led by serving others. We too should do the same. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful lessons that we have learned here this morning. And the lessons we learn here each week help us to truly apply them to our lives and help us this week to be servant leaders and by this we will be great, by serving others out of love for you and love for them. Amen.